This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. To the Salt City Hoops Hoops show on ESPN 700, my name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz, joining you on a lovely Thursday evening after, you know, the, the scary weather that was Wednesday. We, we finally got a sunny day, and, and it's, it's beautiful spring weather again in Salt Lake City. We're so happy to join you. It was a busy day um, for the Utah Jazz today with locker room cleanout starting at 11 a.m. I, I was at the practice facility for the Utah Jazz for about five and a half hours today, just covering all of those interviews. Um, we've got some great audio clips from those interviews today to share with you. Uh, we also are going to be talking about the upcoming playoff series, which the West and the East have shook, shake out so, such that those playoff series are giving us so much to analyze. There are so many different storylines in there. Mostly the West, but still. <laughs> Admittedly, mostly the West, I think, are, are the better playoff series. But that being said, I, I think there really are interesting questions in each one of them. Definitely. So, uh, we're going to be talking about those later on in the show. Uh, we're going to be kind of looking back at the season a little bit uh, later on in, sh- in the show, but it, undoubtedly the big part of this uh, today will be looking at the locker room cleanouts uh, audio, figuring out what the players said, what they're going to be doing over next season, kind of sharing our thoughts on that. So as always, Ben Dowsett, my co-coordinator here on the show, my assistant editor for Salt City Hoops, my savior when I need a triple team posted like last night. He's just an all-around good di- guy, Mr. Ben Dowsett. You do me. You, you, no, I, I don't even know what I'm looking for. But you just, you just praise me far too highly, I think, is what I was trying to say in a more artistic way. Well, you deserve it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was doing those thank yous on Twitter yesterday. And I saw you that. Were, thank you for you that. You were number one for a reason. Thank because you, you, yes. And, of course, you know, thank you to John LaFollette, who I did not thank on Twitter. And he probably noticed. But he's our great producer. Week in and week out, just killing it behind the behind the glass, if you will. Um, and, of course, providing me with my LOL Lakers yakety sax tune, which I enjoy greatly. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, let's get into it. Right, do we have the audio ready, John? All right. Well, and first, I think we should go ahead and give the Twitter handles oh, please. and phone yeah, numbers. Yeah, because well. we'd love to have your reaction to anything that any of the Jazz players say. Or, of course, if you want to argue with us, you can do that as well. You can always tweet us at um, my Twitter handle is at Andy B. Larson. Yours, Ben, is at Ben underscore Dowsett. You can always give us a call to 877-353-0700. If you want to talk about anything that the Jazz or we say, please join us on the show. And interestingly enough, we do have a tweet already that I think, and I think it does actually function well as a sort of a preliminary one before we get into the audio. It's from Riley O'Brien asking, was there any particular comment made by any player at locker room cleanout that took you by surprise? The answer is yes. We, so, Riley, we've got nine different clips here from nine, nine um, from the locker room cleanout today. I wouldn't say that all of them surprised me, but at least a couple of them will. So we'll, yeah. we'll point out the ones that surprised us. Definitely. Let's let's go chronologically through them. We'll start with number one, and I think this uh, Dennis Lindsay was first up on the podium today, and he was asked about the point guard position uh, and you know whether or not it's good enough, how the Jazz need to upgrade that sort of thing. Let's hear what Dennis said. Yeah, so clearly the just from a baseline level of production that it has to improve, but there's no reason why it can't improve with 
with the uh, three young players that we have, two are 22 and one's 19, and they're all good kids and very good workers. And and so, uh, yeah, the uh, we'll have to uh, evaluate each player. That's what this day's um, a big part of that is is just to sit down and, and get schedules and talk about development. And the the other thing I would say too is is currently is the team's constituted. Uh, our wings have uh, a great deal. We're fortunate to have good wings that have a great deal of ball handling responsibility. So, it, it you know, as much as maybe we want it to look like John in the past and and have that one uh, player that that dominates the ball and, and I say dominates the ball in a good way. Uh, the the way the the league's moving, the way our particular team has evolved with with procurement is we have some excellent wings that handle and, and need the ball. To be frank, we're going to bring Alec back. Gordon's one of our better playmakers and decision makers. Rodney Hood's shown uh, some ability to have the ball. Probably best quality is is as a ball mover and. And so that can mean different things for for Trey and, and Dante and and Bryce and being improving their open shooting, for example, uh, being great team defenders, uh, quickly getting us into our offense. So, and all the while, uh, as their skill set uh, improves, as their experience uh, becomes deeper, then I, I think uh, they can handle a, a larger share of the possessions. The the one thing that I'd say, you know, relative to Dante, for example, is is when you look at his individual stats, you know, they're they're humble as you would suspect as a 19 year old. But the impact on the team was huge, and it was because he didn't force himself on the game. And you know, there's no stat for that to say, hey, I'm going to avoid trouble. And the other thing is, is you know, his length, you know, and. And his his intelligence, his character allowed him to become a plus defender at 19 year old years old in the league, and it's something that Quinn and I frankly didn't expect. So, with Trey, his pull up shooting, handling late clock possessions, uh, Bryce has shown some speed that's increased our pace. So uh, I think we have some some raw material to work with, and it's very young, and we have to own that. That's how we set up the team. But uh, there's no reason why all three of those guys can't improve. So a few reasons I thought that was interesting. First of all, he admitted that the point guard production needed to improve. Like, and, and that's, humble. It, it, it was humble. <laughs> right. Well, Dante Exxon's yeah. production was humble. And then everyone else, you know, are the backups and third string point guards to Dante Exxon. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that the Jazz's point guard production this season was the worst out of any team in the league. Uh He also said, I I think it's really interesting that he lumped in Bryce Cotton with with the likes of Trey Burke and Dante Exum, who are top 10 NBA draft picks, and Bryce Cotton is not, right? He was not even drafted. Right. Um, And and so that he's included in that group of kind of young point guards who the Jazz kind of want to push forward, I think, was really interesting. Um, I also think it was interesting just how he thought each of them had their implicit strengths and then their weaknesses, too, which he didn't focus on as much, but uh, that they all kind of needed to improve on... it didn't really seem like he was excited to bring someone in the at the point guard position in to kind of 
add to those three players. I, I think that's the general feeling a lot of fans got. We did have a tweet, or I got a tweet from Clint Peterson saying, I got from Lindsay that Trey, Dante, and Bryce will all be back. And I think that's the impression that a number of Jazz fans got listening to that. I don't know that I would necessarily go that far. I think that Dennis Lindsay knows in some ways that his it's in his best interest to not say bad things about his players and to not <laughs> right. and to, uh, more importantly to not show his hand, if you will. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily think of that as any sort of a, a guarantee or anything like that. Which and I'm not saying people are doing that. One thing I did want to highlight really quickly that Dennis did say in there and that I think is being glossed over a lot when we look at Dante Exum's play from this previous year is the level of rarity for a person at his age to be able to play the level of defense that he has over the back half of this season against NBA starters at his position. That is extremely rare. And I think people are kind of uh, glossing over that a little bit. And, and they, we should rightfully be worried about what his uh, certain elements of his offensive game, though I'm, I'm actually less worried about them, I think, than most are. But again, to play the level of defense that he has against, those, against the level of player that he has at his age is extremely unprecedented. And I think that's something that we need to focus a little more on, is that that's, usually it takes years for, for rookies, to, especially 19-year-old rookies with no college experience, to ever... to pick up the finer points of that and he's I mean he's still got work to do on the mental side but he's been an excellent defender I just kind of wanted to note that yeah and I actually asked Dante about that later on in the day and and he was proud of his defense and rightfully so because it was something that Quinn had emphasized Um, and it really is rare for a rookie to be great defensively Dante definitely was. Yeah, and just real quick before we move on to the next one, I, I and this is something we've discussed in previous weeks and I've put on my Twitter and everything, I still think that a potential move, if the right move is there for the right veteran point guard, that it could very well happen. And I don't think these comments today stop that from being possible. No, I, I completely agree. You know, Just because he said nice things about those three point guards today does not mean that he won't trade them if the right deal comes up. Yeah, and as once, sorry, another tweet here from Clint real fast. Don't gloss over the fact that Lindsey has also said he has a free agent target in mind. Now, Clint, Clint does add probably not a point guard. I'm not as convinced. I, I think there could be a variety of players that are on that list. It could be, there yeah. could be a lot of different guys. Completely agreed. Let's actually move on to the next yep. Dennis Lindsey point about how he's thinking about these players. That's uh, actually, John, it's number nine on our list about the chemistry being fragile of the roster. Frankly, chemistry is fragile and we all know it when we see it and we can feel it. And then we obviously know what the opposite of that looks like as well. And, and so with teams, the equilibrium and the balance of having good chemistry is frankly very fragile. And, and luckily, if you, if you put enough good people in the room together and give them uh, a common cause and, and talk to them about how they can participate in that in a tangible way, usually good things happen. And so I think uh, we'll get back to, you know, our core beliefs of uh, what a team should look like. And, and that's high-minded around here, as everyone knows. You know, John and Carl and Coach Sloan and, you know, the, the history of the Jazz uh, uh, is one that uh, the, the fans expect team play uh, on both ends of the court. And while we're probably not passing the ball like, like, like John did in the heydays, I, I do think the fans uh, quickly gravitated towards our defensive chemistry. And, uh, and then it's our job to pick up those other areas. And, and so when you enter uh, potentially new people into the equation, you, you have to talk that out. You have to talk that out with the group that you have and, and how it fits. And, and, and those conversations are delicate, but you, you have to be completely honest as well so uh 
we'll we'll discuss it, and it will be a, a topic that that we'll continually talk about on a daily basis. I think that's another one that, to a certain point, is gonna gonna make jazz fans think that maybe the 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 summer we've kind of built up as a you know we got to make a bunch of changes type of summer might not be as large as far as that goes. That that and Dennis is absolutely right. Chemistry it, it really is fragile. You can one I mean Lance Stevenson is a pretty awesome example. You one person can do some really really awful things <laughs> to a team's chemistry yeah. if you have just the one wrong guy and I don't think I think if you ask NBA players and go in NBA locker rooms it doesn't need to be an example that large it doesn't need to be some, someone as crazy as Lance Stevenson to disrupt the chemistry of a team let me ask you a specific example does that disqualify Ty Lawson um I I can't honestly sp- I haven't talked to anybody really much about his actual his locker room stuff what how he is in the locker room how he is with teammates things like that and I can't say I know too much firsthand as far as that goes I only really know about some of his off court stuff I mean Melvin Hunt said he was great uh-huh. that being said he was definitely a jerk to Brian Shaw yeah definitely contributed to the one two three six weeks kind of huddles yep. um I, I worry about that a lot in terms of acquiring Ty Lawson. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think – I don't know. I, can't, I don't want to speak to that like I'm an, any kind of an expert on him. <laughs> but I, I, would, I would think and I would guarantee, in fact, that if the Jazz were looking at a player like Ty Lawson, who, by the way, as an on-court fit, would not be on my high list of choices if they were making a point guard trade. But if they were, I think they would do extreme due diligence as far well, as that sure. goes. But, you know, I, I, I think I would, I would go so far as to say – the the information that we have probably disqualifies Ty Lawson. I would say that's at least a possibility. I uh, want to read two tweets from Travis Reed. First of all, he's listening from Melbourne, Australia, which live to awesome. us today, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Uh, but second of all, he points out, last year's Spurs and this year's Warriors have shown us how vital great chemistry is in today's NBA. The Jazz have it. Yeah, I think, and I think they, that's they've true. shown it over the last, uh, you know, twenty nine games of the seasons. Now, don't forget that the Spurs and Warriors also have a boatload of talent, <laughs> like more than the Jazz. That's definitely true. Um, and, but I mean, the Hawks are another example. I think of this chemistry that that really does help them. Anyway, let, let's move on to our final quote from Dennis today. Uh, it was interesting. He essentially admitted that the Jazz have been sitting players a little bit for strategic reasons, maybe not necessarily due to the injuries over the last five games or so of the season. Last night was tough to sit through, right? Even though that we had to strategically sit some players. That's it. That's I mean, and that's I, a that's an incredible thing for a GM to say, right? I, I, I don't know. Me personally, my first reaction to that was, yeah, yes, it's a somewhat, <coughs> excuse me, somewhat unprecedented thing for a GM to say. You don't expect them to. I don't know. I said show your hand earlier. You don't expect them to show their hand all that much. But at the same time. Are they really telling us anything that we don't know? That's my whole thing has been like there's certain things that are taboo for saying that I don't understand why <laughs> because we all know it. We all know that teams have done this. We all know the Jazz do it or, or have done it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found that interesting, but I, I also the, the slightest bit vindicating. I was told that because uh, I asked. Uh, excuse me, I asked Quinn uh, last week after the second consecutive game where Gordon Hayward played a very limited number of minutes and looked really, really tired, honestly. I asked Quinn if there was any thought being given to sitting Hayward for the remainder of the season. 
And he said no, and he gave me a respectful answer, as Quinn always does 100% of the time. And I'm told by people that afterwards the question was somewhat scoffed at by the, the broadcast that they went back to on the TV broadcast, which is fine. Those guys have their opinions and everything. But I, I think the fact that we're scoffing at thoughts like that is a little interesting because, frankly, res, they, you know, Hayward played one more game after that and then was shut down for the rest of the year, as I asked. And... I think it's absolutely the smart move that they did that. And then that, they, you know, hey, what did favors play last night? Like nine minutes or something right. like that. They that's, I think that's the smart way to go about things. And I don't see why we'd be wondering about that, about doing that. The, the, I mean, taking your players into the off season healthy so they can develop further skills is huge. Yeah, I agree. And it's completely a reasonable question for you to ask. I mean, I, I don't agree with scoffing at it at all. Um, I do think that because the, there was that specific heel inflammation issue, and I think like even if that's the most minor of issues ever, yeah. you still don't want him to play the, those last two games. And I think that's what we saw. I think maybe some of that strategic sitting was, for example, Trevor Booker last night. Uh, we may have seen that from Derek Favors a little bit, or you know, playing only nine minutes, for example. Mm-hmm. Trey Burke maybe a little bit, those sort of things. Uh, real quick before we move to the next. We had a few tweets from people keeping going on the chemistry. Uh, thanks to James Hansen, Clint Peterson, uh, Riley O'Brien for those. We're not going to read them specifically because we've kind of moved on just a little past that. <laughs> no, we're, well, we're but, going to the, the Hayward chemistry right, exactly. quote exactly. So we'll take it to that. Yeah, Let's go ahead and play that Hayward chemistry quote. Gordon. I think one thing that <laughs> is evident in Utah is a lot of it, a lot of the team chemistry um, – comes from the staff, as, as weird as that may seem. We have good people on staff, and so no matter who we have in here, usually the, the people get along with, with the staff, and it kind of just blends everybody together, and um, we get going in the right direction. So uh, we've got good people in place as foundations, and so no matter who, who we bring in, I'm, you know, I'm confident we have good people here, and, and the people that are going to stay and be on the team, you know, everyone's going to fit in, and it'll be good. I found this to possibly be the most interesting quote from anybody during this entire hmm. day, uh, and I'll tell you why. The I, I think we think of chemistry as a player's thing. I think we think of the players as sort of in their camp, and then you have the coaches and the and the management that's sort not in a different camp. Well, I mean, I guess a different camp that's in that's focused on the same goals, if you will. You kind you kind of see what I mean there, but I think we don't think of management and the coaching staff and and that those types as being the ones who actually set the tone for the chemistry like Hayward said and an example I wanted to use was yesterday I believe it was yesterday or one of the last couple of days an article came out on ESPN uh for, with about Paul Pierce uh and it was he had a lot of really, really scathing things to say about a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> including a former Jazz point guard, Darren Williams. And in particular, he he essentially bashed the Nets locker room from last season and, and kind of bashed the, the culture that was in there and the motivation and basically said that he and Kevin Garnett were the only reasons that guys in there tried at all, essentially. And then Jason Kidd was asked about those comments. Jason Kidd, who is now in Milwaukee, but who was the coach of the Nets last year, was asked about those comments and kind of said, well, you know, I wasn't really in the locker room at those points. I was, you know, I I wasn't there. I wasn't exactly sure what was happening. So I'm paraphrasing, and he didn't speak to it for too long, but that was essentially the gist of his comments, which I found. And then when I heard what Gordon said today, to me, that's a large dichotomy. To, To me, I think what Gordon's talking about with having 
guys like Quinn Snyder and the rest of management kind of setting the tone for chemistry, whereas you saw Jason Kidd, who's kind of, you know, Brooklyn had a really bad year last year, and he's essentially admitting that the coaches really had nothing to do with the culture going on in the locker room. I think the former situation there, the one the Jazz have right now, is far more healthy, and I think if you look at some of the best organizations around the league, you would find that copied in nearly every case. You would see that management and the coaches often are the ones who are setting that tone. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and it, it's cool that the Jazz have managed to keep that continuity despite having a first-year head coach and a second- or third-year general manager. Um, you know, that that's cool that they've they've managed to kind of bring that forward because, you know, the Jazz are famous for that sort of chemistry and that, that sort of, uh, you know, ideal of, of hard work. Riley O'Brien says, speaking of the importance of chemistry, I think that's part of what makes your show great. Stockton to Malone of radio. Who's Stock? No, Stockton to Malone. No, I know, but I, uh, which one oh. of us is Stockton? Uh... I'm, I think I'm dishing up dimes for I, you. I think so, because, and especially because out of the two of us, I would have been the only one to elbow Isaiah Thomas in the face. <laughs> so that I, would, I think I can be caramel. I'm also bigger out of the two of us, so okay. yeah, we can call it that. All right. I like it. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and play the next Hayward uh, comment. Th- this one's a little bit interesting. Um, basically talking about what Quinn Snyder did for the Utah Jazz. Coach Glenn helped us out a lot this year. I think he um, showed us the details of the game that we were missing. Um, you know, we've all gotten better individually. I think you can see that from the beginning of the season to the end. Um, for me personally, he helped me with my mid-range game as far as reading pick and rolls and staying in the pocket and learning how to read defenses because um, that's a huge part of the NBA right now. And uh, he slows down the game for you and, and shows you exactly what you need to do and how you can do it. Um, and so I think you know, that's something that he'll help us continue to help us out with next year, too, um, individually making us better players. Um, as far as defensively, I think we just uh, had a renewed focus, and um, he really put put in place a system that once we executed it, we were pretty good at. And uh, I think continuing to play together and play in that system will only make the defense better. So. I thought that one was interesting because of the, the the part that he said, Quinn Snyder showed us the details of the game that we were missing. And that was something that was echoed over and over again. You know, why not play the one from the Jazz's best player, Gordon Hayward? I, I, I think that's the consistent theme you hear about people from Quinn Snyder is, you know, sure, Ty Corbin may have had kind of the defensive fundamentals down. You know, he may have been like, you've got to, okay, maybe not. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I everyone kind of knows what you're supposed to do on an NBA level, right? You're, you're supposed to help yeah. the helper. You're supposed to play, uh, you know, if you're playing hedge, pick and roll D, you're supposed to jump out there and kind of d- disrupt the ball handler. You know, the, the wide swaths of both offense and defense are not that difficult. Mm-hmm. It's, the individual minute differences, the the details that really make an effective offense and defense. And that's what Quinn Snyder is good at teaching. And that's what both you and I have seen him practicing with these guys over and over again um, from inches on the court, making a big difference to uh, how they're doing their footwork to just what kinds of shots they're doing from which different kinds of spots. I mean, it's really been impressive. I I absolutely agree. And I think that Quinn Snyder would have loved Gordon's response to that question because I think, (laughs) I think that I think that's the stuff that Quinn cares the most about. He knows these guys are at this level because they know the broad stuff. They need help with the specific details. Uh, completely agreed. All right, so that's five of our quotes thus far. We've got four more left to go from today's locker room clean-out session. Um, that's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. 
Talking Hoops and the Association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson. Ben Dowsett on the other side. Ben, you have another one of our excellent tweets coming in. Absolutely. From Brett Mill. Will the Jazz bring the entire coaching staff back next year? Are there any assistants who are candidates for NCAA or NBA head coaching positions? In short, Brett, uh, I believe, yes, they will bring the entire coaching staff back. I think Alex Jensen and maybe one or two other guys could, if they wanted to, be candidates for some of those mid-tier NCAA jobs. Definitely not for NCAA or NBA head coaching positions at this point, but really those mid-tier NCAA coaching jobs would almost be steps down from NBA assistance or sideways steps. If That's you the thing is you see guys leave those sorts of head coaching college positions for assistant kind of jobs all the time. I mean, we, we saw it with Sidney Lowe. We've seen it, I mean, from a whole bunch of different guys. Um, I mean, I, I just can't imagine any of them leave. Quinn really likes all of them. Uh, you know, Alex Jensen is awesome, by the way. I really hope he doesn't leave. He's an awesome assistant coach. I, I don't think he will. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, everyone likes Antonio Lang. I mean, everyone is, is kind of part of this. So I, I really do think that it's probably the very exact same coaching staff. Yeah. Maybe an addition would be yeah, the they only could, thing. Yeah, they could make an addition. Um, Let's go ahead and go on to our next quote. This one's from Derek Favors, um, which I, I thought was really interesting. This may have been my most surprising quote of the day. Okay. Oh, no, no, I wasn't going to change the chemistry. It was just, um, I think it was bound to happen either way. If the trade didn't happen or the trade happened, we was going to get better defensively anyway because how we worked in practice, how um, you know, Quinn kept pushing us in practice on the defensive end of the ball. And No, I think it was just bound to happen anyway. Interesting. Do you agree? I, um, I I think it is a matter of degrees, just like so many things are in this game that we talk about. But I do agree with him, and I think the evidence actually backs that up if you look at when the Jazz's defensive resurgence kind of began. It began before Cantor was traded. Now, that, that was in response to a thinly veiled question about whether Cantor being traded is what <laughs> is kind of what surged their defense. Right. I, I think the evidence is there that they were starting to see that surge before. Now, they didn't fully complete it until Cantor was gone, and it is, in some ways, you can... De- I mean, I definitely don't think it would be have been as potentially historically good as it was with Cantor still in the mix getting 30 minutes a night because we saw how Oklahoma City really suffered when he defensively when yeah. he played. And... um but yeah, I, I think to a point with a, with you know you can make a point of contention with the degrees, but I think Derek's right to a point. Let me ask if the Jazz if had they had not made the trade, obviously they made the trade. They were first in defense since the All Star break. Mm-hmm. If they had not made the trade, where do you think they would be? Um, I'd still like to think they could have been well within the top ten and maybe really? even in the top five. I, I even with Ennis Cantor. I, I I mean, you look at for example, and I know Cantor is a huge detriment defensively, and don't get me wrong, I totally agree with that. But if you look at, for example, the numbers without Gobert during the um, during that stretch, the even including I think part of the time while Cantor was still in town, the the Jazz were a, a borderline top five team when go defensively when Gobert was off the floor as well, which. To me, I think signals that it was a lot more than Gobert, which we've discussed, and that right. I think that the that Snyder really succeeded in in bringing the culture to a, a great level as far as defense goes. Now, I could be overstating it a bit, and and Cantor is really a massive detriment defensively. So you could be right. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I think. I th- I think you're right that we had seen gains. You know, in December and and January, the Jazz were not last, but they were still middle of the pack. I I kind of suspect that they stay at that middle of the pack zone, especially as Enes Cantor continues. 
continues to realize that it's a contract here, if you will, and, and puts more effort on the offensive side, getting those points and rebounds and maybe less on the defensive end. Good point. Um, let's move on to Trey Burke's comments today. So first, let, let's talk about the uh, his expectations for next year. You know, uh, let's go ahead and play this quote. Playoffs is, you know, our goal, our def- our definite goal. You know, like like I said, you know, the last few years, you know, you've been hearing rebuilding process and things like that. I think it's time that we, um, you know, take that next step, and you know, we want to take that next step and get to the playoffs. Trey Burke's ready to make the playoffs, he and is. we tried to we. Kind of tried to get guys to nail down what their expectations were for next season. And, and we heard from a lot of different players that really playoffs is all they were thinking about. I even asked Rudy Gobert to name some of his individual expectations for next season. You know, do you want to get 15 points a game? Do you want to be an all-star? Do you want to be defensive player of the year? Et cetera, et cetera. He said, you know, I'm not thinking about any of that. I'm thinking about the playoffs. It, it's cool that Trey Burke thinks the same thing. Gordon Hayward said the same thing. I mean, these guys are all on the same page that next year is the year that the Jazz make the playoffs. 100%. I'm right there with them. I don't think we even need to say much more on it. I think that's the expectation and that it's going to be a slight to moderate disappointment if it doesn't happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and with that, you know, you may have to have the right organization of players. You You may, for example, not have to have Trey Burke starting anymore. Let's mm-hmm. see how what he thinks about uh, coming off the bench in that move this season. I mean, I you know I never had a problem with you know any teammates. To be honest with you, uh, I don't think ever at playing basketball. So it wasn't nothing I took personal or anything. You know, I still played you know a lot, played a lot of minutes, things like that. You know, it was just it was just a new like like you guys said, it was a new role coming off the bench, um, being able to see the game from a different perspective. Uh, you know, it was something that I had to, you know, kind of, you know, get used to at first because I had never come up, came off the bench um, on any level. So, you know, it's something that I'm, uh, you know, going to continue to, you know, just, just fight through. I, th- I found that one interesting, not necessarily because now, you know, I-, I do think it's great that Trey, and we've talked about before how mature Trey's been through this process and he's accepted the move this year. My question is, I, I think you as a player, you naturally have in your head, well, I'm going to improve, I'm going to get better, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my way back into there. And my question is whether Trey will continue being content with this sort of role for a significant period of time down the line. And I think he will be unless he improves. I mean, I asked him about, look, dude, <laughs> I did not put it in those terms, but I, I essentially had said, look, Trey Burke, dude, you put up 12.8 points a game last year. You put up 12.8 points a game this year. Last year, you thought shot 38% from the field. This year, you thought shot 37% from the field. You had 5.7 assists per game, 4.3 assists per game this year. You, you've decreased everything. Is that, that's not what you expected, what are you going to do in order to get better in year three? And, you know, he, he had good answers for that. You know, it, it was a big, it was a lot about him and, and his work in the offseason and, and all of that. But I, I think he, he recognized that he hasn't improved in year two and recognized that in order to become who he wants to be, and which is an NBA starter, don't get me wrong, he has to take significant steps. And, you know, I, I guess that's a question for a later time is what I'm saying, because True. at this point, Trey feels I think Trey knows that he doesn't deserve that starting spot I think so and I I think that there is a difference as I'm sure anyone would admit there's a difference between recognizing that and being able to change it whether or not he has the the capability to change it uh is is another question based (laughs) on his physical skill set he certainly does mentally I think we've gone over that a hundred times but 
I think that that'll be a really interesting thing going forward for the Jazz is whether Trey will accept both playing time-wise and down the road when, if it comes to that, money-wise, if Trey will accept essentially the role of a bench player and the role of someone who is not maybe a key part of the of clutch of 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 clutch situations and down stretch runs and things like that agreed and and rodney hood is actually in the same sort of situation too especially with alec burks coming back in who said last night on the broadcast that he thinks that he is a starter although he won't be upset if quinn plays him as as a bench player but rodney hood's done great as a starter over the last two weeks does he want to be a starter or is he fine on, in a bench role let's let's hear it straight from rodney uh, I don't have a preference. You know, I, I came off the bench and started, you know, um, I, you know, we want Alec back healthy and, you know, he's been great, you know, in my improvement. And, um, you know, regardless of what happens, you know, we're both going to be effective, you know, on the court. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's exciting. You know, he, he's, he was starting before he left. So I, uh, it's, that's probably going to happen. So, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable coming off the bench, you know, or starting if I had to step up. Yeah, so again, it's just someone who's uh, Rodney knows that he's a rookie. He knows that he doesn't need to start, even though he has played well in the starting role. Again, you see these guys kind of coming together and realizing, you know, even if it's not what's great for me, what's best for the team is maybe me coming off the bench and, and helping the Jazz in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I would think so. Do we have a caller? We do have a caller. Let's go ahead and hear from Dave. Dave, what you got for us? Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. Great. How are you? I'm good. Hey, listen, I, I have two questions, so I'd like to ask the first one and listen to your answer and then maybe ask the second one. Okay. It's funny you were just talking about Alec Burks because that is really my first question. Here's a team that has done really well gelling as a team in the last half of the season. You know, there's just a spirit there you can tell as a sports fan that they've really come together as a team. How does how does Burks integrate himself back into that mix um i'd like your thoughts on that ben you're the world's biggest alec burks fan let's hear it from you first well i think the best answer to that would be that he doesn't need to integrate him back himself back on the court he certainly does of course but as far as being a part of the jazz's culture and of what they're doing alec is absolutely a part if you're at the you're at the games you're in the hallways you're in the locker room he's there that guy is there for everything he's been traveling with the team he's been taking part they've talked to him in interviews about how much he's been learning from quinn snyder as a uh just as a basketball player so i think as far as that sort of that mental aspect he's absolutely already there but uh, what i'm worried about and maybe what dave's worried about too is on the court i worry that alec burks's maybe greatest weakness when he was playing is that he didn't always get the the off-ball defense fundamentals sometimes he would Mm -hmm. over rotate sometimes he wouldn't rotate when he needed to and that's really what's made the Jazz's defense so successful, especially, as you point out, they're still good even when Rudy Gobert's not on the floor. We've seen where one weak link can kill the defense. Uh-huh. If Alec does not improve in that area, I, I think he doesn't get minutes next season. Or, I mean, he'll get minutes, but certainly not as many as he's expecting and, and will be a little bit of a disappointment coming back, especially with now four more years on his contract left to go. I would agree with that, definitely. And he, But I am confident that he can make those improvements and that Quinn Snyder can help him with those. Now, do we want to get the second part yeah, of Dave's question? Yeah, I just want to make one quick point. He's talked a lot about what he's learned defensively and he's talked about it. it today uh, while watching from the bench. And you know, he's literally in constant communication while watching these games with Johnny Bryant. Um, it, it will be very interesting to see if he can apply that during games next season. Dave, your second question. 
Well, my second question is about Bryce Cotton. You know, I look at the group um, of, of D-League players that have been given tryouts, if you like, and, you know, and, and maybe adding Jeremy Evans to that group, that group of six players that, you know, have played prominent roles in the last mm, half dozen games. Is there anybody besides Cotton that – and first I want your thoughts on Cotton because I, I really like him – but is anybody else in that group likely to be around next year besides Cotton? It's an interesting question. I would I would say that Elijah Millsap is Cotton. I would I would agree with that. I think I, I think Elijah Millsap is a near lock to be at least at the very worst a depth guy on the wing for the Jazz because of the defense that he provides. That's a situational asset that's huge in the league, especially if you're a playoff contender. Yeah, you might just need him to lock someone down in a playoff series or in a, in a big series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but with regards to Bryce Cotton specifically. Um, here's the thing about Cotton. Now, full disclosure, I'm, I was actually born in Providence, Rhode Island, which is where uh, Bryce Cotton played all four years of his college ball. And, uh, my dad has had a huge amount of interest in him because he lived there for a number of years. My dad, who was also conveniently named Dave, actually, uh, <laughs> has a huge interest in, in Cotton. And he has been asking me for years, can Bryce Cotton make the league? Can Bryce Cotton make the league? And my initial response was always that I was doubtful, mainly because of his size. He's just, he's, there's no way that guy's over 5'11", by the way, guys, just so everybody knows. No. He's, so I've, and that is reaching, honestly, <laughs> because I'm 6'1". He's 5'11 and a quarter. Okay, he was measured. Give right. him some credit. That's fair. Um, here's the reasons why I do think he has the potential to stick. Normally, the size is going to be an issue for a point guard. We've seen it with Trey Burke, and Trey is bigger than Bryce, and that's that you can get posted by bigger guards. Mm -hmm. You have issues with being able to fill passing lanes and being able to block passes over the top of you, things Mm -hmm. like that. But to me, those issues tend to rear their heads a little far as starters go. And I think Bryce Cotton's ceiling is absolutely as a backup in this league. He's never going to be a starter. So those aren't areas that you have to worry about quite as much. And frankly, the poise that he's shown and the ability to make shots and the ability ability to um, get to the hoop really well and push the tempo for the Jazz is something they've really needed. I wrote an article about it this past week that I, I think that's big for them. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I do. And I think teams take notice when a guy is liked by both the Spurs and the Jazz organizations. Yeah. And of course, he was an Austin Toro or I guess Austin Spur before coming yeah. into the Jazz. Um, so that he's excelled kind of in both places this season is, is a good sign for his career. And a, and a a bit of a, a, a an awesome guy in the locker room as well. He's great. Yep. We've got one more caller, and then we've got to go take a break. So, Brian, let's let's hear from What do you got for us? Um, I was just wondering. I, I think it was Zach Lowe off Grandland, one of the Grandland writers. They're talking about how grabbing Elijah Millsap was kind of a play maybe to bring Paul back. I was wondering if you guys thought that, you know, that was a good idea to bring Paul Millsap back. I loved him when he was on the Jazz. I loved how he grinded for us. He's always a great player. He's a great character guy. He's, he's a Jazz guy, you know, and, we love him here. So I was just wondering what you guys thought about that. I don't think that it's going to happen, one, because he, he's going to get a maximum offer from a lot of different teams. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question is, why would he choose the Jazz instead of Atlanta, where you know at this point he has developed a home um, just because Elijah is playing here? I mean, to me, I don't think that that's a, a good enough reason for Paul to come back. You know, I, I think the Jazz would be interested in adding that talent. But then you also ask, where do you play Paul Millsap? I mean, Derek Favors is now firmly established at the four. Gordon Hayward is, is firmly established at the three. So you can't even, you know, you can't play him as a, like a big ball three or anything. And nobody it, can do it that. Doesn't, in and yeah. that's true. And, and so I just don't think it works out. I mean, it's something that we talked a lot about earlier in the year is, is kind of this pipe dream that would make the Jazz five wins better next season, you know, at least. 
Um, I, and I would love Paul Millsap. I mean, he's one of my favorite players ever to be in a Jazz uniform. All-star, fantastic player. I just don't see how he kind of fits into this cohesive unit that the Jazz have put together at the last half of the season. Yeah, I would. Ha- I was big on Millsap as a potential addition earlier in the year, but how Gobert has played just makes it really hard to envision bringing in another big who will demand starter minutes. Agreed. Unless you make like a favors for Millsap kind of swap that like Millsap next to Gobert, I think could be fun, but I, I just don't see it working. Out. I don't think the Jazz are moving favors under basically any circumstances. <laughs> I, I kind of agree. All right. Well, thanks to both Brian and Dave for their calls. They asked three great questions to us. We got to take a break. But on the other side, we're going to be talking about our favorite plays moments and then off court moments as well from this season. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett. All right, so we've got some tweets from you that we want to read quickly before going into what we've got. Travis Reed again from Melbourne, Australia. Just the best place in the world. I want to go there for the Australian Open, by the way. do that, yeah. Yes, that's happening next season. Um, (laughs) He says, if Trey Burke can become a 40% three-point shooter he could average 15 points a game and be a six-man extraordinaire odds of that happening like one percent <laughs> for a guy to go from his current level of three-point shooting to that is nearly he's not that terrible of a three-point shooter like but compared to average shooter, his level of open shooting but yeah just as, not that good exactly yeah. right and if if it's if it does then great but it's just i mean jason kidd for example did it he's but he's one of the very very few historical examples unfortunately <laughs> he's the one percent yep we're all 99 percenters so yes. you're saying there's a chance. Clint Peterson saying, interestingly, Rodney Hood said today he learned a lot from the bench while hurt this year. Absolutely. Maybe Alec Burks is in that as well. And you've got a tweet about Alec as well. Yeah, um, I got a tweet from Jay Roberts saying that Alec Burks' basketball IQ will be on display next season, whether it be good or bad. That was, And that's relative to our conversation about how Burks would have to reintegrate himself. And uh, Jody Genesey, then our friend over at Deseret News, chimed in and said, Snyder said his IQ is very high. And... I'm not going to doubt what Quinn Snyder says as far as those things go. And I, I have always been of the opinion that Alec picks up things quickly on the basketball court. So that's just me. Yeah. And Quinn Snyder. <laughs> it's not just you. Yeah. All right. So we wanted to quickly break down kind of what we thought is our, our top moments of the season. Uh, just, you know, because reminiscing is fun. So yeah. we're going to talk about the top play, the top game and the top off court moment of the season. Let's start with the top play. What's yours? My top play is the Hayward shot. It was the the the, the against Hayward buzzer beater. Hayward buzzer beater against Cleveland. It was the first game I was at this season. I was not on press row. I was just there with my girlfriend Laura. Her first NBA game ever, by the way. Nice. She thought that all games were going to be like that, which I had to. Ex- we went to the Sacramento game the week after, and she quickly found out that that's not the way it worked. <laughs> what was yours? Your top play? Uh, mine was uh, Booker shot the the ridiculous. I don't know, volleyball set shot almost. Yeah. I mean, I have tried that in my backyard so many times since then and literally have not gotten it to drop once. I'm like, hey, roommate, please help me. You know, give me yeah. the give me the Hayward pass. I'm going to try to flip it up over my head and, and score it. You know, I, I can't use a backboard, so it's got to be from the side. It's an impossible shot. By the way, that Hayward shot, you're right, is great, but it's just another example of how Jazz LeBron games are the best. You, they always You are. should pay hundreds and thousands of dollars you for Jazz LeBron tickets next year because yep. every game has always been extraordinary. Yep. All right, top game of the season. What do you got? My top game is uh, January 7th versus Memphis. That, or Sorry, January 7th at Chicago. No, 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 um, that's mine. No, that's mine. Wait, what? Mine was at Chicago. Oh, Did, yours said Memphis. We picked the same one. Oh. <laughs> we picked the same game. We picked game. the same game. All right, let's... 
We're That's good. That's awesome. January 7th at Chicago, by the way. Yeah. Um, why do you think it was awesome? Well, the jazz, that was the game where I think I first kind of realized that the, the, the Jazz could be the type of team that we've seen them mostly be over the latter half of the season. They kicked the crap out of that Chicago team in Chicago. They, that was when Chicago had everybody healthy, if I'm not mistaken, and they just worked those guys. Like That was when I first thought, like, whoa, okay, maybe the timetable has accelerated here a little more than I thought. I don't think it was a coincidence that Ennis Cantor did not play in that game. That's why I don't think the Jazz would be a top one defense or top five or top ten defense. Because even when they were good earlier in the season, it was when Ennis Cantor was out. Yep. All right. Top off-court moment of the season. I actually haven't thought of one yet, so you go first. (laughs) We're doing well on this segment. Yeah. My favorite off-the-court moment was not even the Trevor Booker quotes, although they were great. My favorite off-court moment was Derek Favors being on the cover of Pets in the City magazine here yep. in Salt Lake City with his two dogs just bossing it up on that cover that had several different fonts and was very poorly graphic designed. But Derek Favors was smiling with his dogs there. How many Look dogs it up does he you have? I think two. That's per- that was pretty awesome. Okay, and I'm going to tweet it. I've decided to make mine be all all uh, nostalgic and whatnot, but mine has been. This is my first year where I've been uh, credentialed to go to any jazz games, and frankly, I know that it maybe sounds fanboyish, but the first time I got to go do that and to go stand down and and watch warmups and uh, you know be be by NBA refs and NBA players and that whole thing. It's and it's still a thrill to me to this point. I know super nostalgic and corny and whatnot, but that was. That's my highlight off the Yeah, we can't share in that as fans. Uh, everyone can share in the Pets in the City moment. I guess that's true. I apologize, guys, for those of you who can't. <laughs> but I, I had to do it because it, really, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Agreed. All right. So on the next, we got to go to a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking about the eight awesome playoff series coming up next on the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. <laughs> Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson, managing editor of saltcityhoops.com. In case you haven't heard of us, we're the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. The 38 and 46 Utah Jazz. Can I do math? 44. Thank you. I can't can do, math. do math. By the way, I was a math major. Yep. <laughs> Apparently that didn't go well. <laughs> uh, ben Dowsett is always joining me on the other side. associate editor of Salt City Hoops. Uh, so we kind of just broke down the Jazz's locker room clear, clear out. And thanks so much for your guys's text, tweets, uh, calls during that segment. That was great. We kind of want to change it and move to the rest of the NBA because there are some really exciting playoff series coming up now. I am so excited that the playoffs start this weekend. It's so great. This I'm going to sleep like four hours total this weekend because of all. The, <laughs> I'm I'm also covering both Utah Grizzlies hockey games this weekend for really? KSL.com. Yes, yeah, nice. I I volunteered to do it. I like hockey because yeah, but. Uh, and then that, and plus I worked the whole weekend actually in the studio at KSL, and I'm going to watch every playoff game that takes place this weekend in both the NHL and NBA. I'm literally barely going to sleep, and it's going to be awesome. I see someone on Twitter called you fat. What's that all about? Well, they should. I am. <laughs> Good Lord. It's it's awful. Like I don't know how my girlfriend puts up with me. It's, it's just horrifying. Like I've just let myself go completely. Wow. <laughs> You're just like the self-hate is coming and coming. It's yeah. so rough on yourself. Okay, so it's not really that bad, but I do. 
Maybe I do need to be in better shape. <laughs> well, so that's the thing is it's hard to stay in shape during the season, right? It like is. there's too much basketball to watch. You can't go out and exercise. Now it's going to be the summer. You can play whatever sport you want every day of the week. It's I do a lot. I do a lot of hiking, and I've been I've been getting that back for the last couple of weeks here. Okay. I'm starting to do that, so it'll be it'll be better. I won't be complaining as much about this <laughs> a couple of months. There were a lot of issues that I dragged out. I didn't mean to bring that up. <laughs> Just someone else tweeted about it. We like to read tweets on the show. If it, one of them says Ben is fat, we're going to talk about it. Ben Dowser is so fat, his selfies spill onto MySpace. <laughs> Hashtag Yo Mama from Clint Peterson. Is that Thank a, you, Clint. Wow. <laughs> that, was, no, that was just now in reference to what we're saying. That was a good, I like that one. That's good. <laughs> John, All right. John is dying in the booth right now. This is good stuff. Because of what, like, we were like, we're going to talk about the playoffs, but side note, Ben is fat. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, let's let's actually break down the playoffs. Yeah. This is a very serious show in which we do NBA analysis. No more smiling. <sighs> Atlanta, Brooklyn. Atlanta and Brooklyn will How play How do you feel other? about the number one and number eight seeds facing off in the Eastern Conference. Okay, I can't playoffs. do it. I can't do it that serious. But um I actually think that there might be little tiny bits of this series that I mean Atlanta's gonna win this series in either five or six games and we should or maybe even four and we should just be aware of that going in. But that said I think there are a couple little interesting elements. Um, when we wanted to highlight a few little numbers as we go through each of these series. The number I wanted to highlight here is 20 and 9. That is Brooke Lopez's point and rebound numbers averages since the All-Star break on a per-game basis. He's low-key, kind of been like what healthy Brooke Lopez is supposed to look like, sort of. And my the thought with that is whether or not Brooklyn can kind of slow the game down enough, keep Atlanta from getting any transition and quick buckets off of misses, and kind of start feeding Brooke Lopez down low. Because I don't think Atlanta necessarily has one guy in that starting lineup that's built to defend a guy like Brooke Lopez. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I would counter with the other guy in Brooklyn's lineup who used to be good and has not been good for large swaths of the season, Darren Williams. Mm-hmm. Has not been good recently. No. Um, he, he had one great 32-11 and 11 game where it was like, is Darren Williams back? And the answer is no, kids. He is not. He is not. Over his last five games, he's 4 for 10 for 10 points. In the second game, 3 for 11 for 9 points. 1 for 11 for 4 points. 3 for 13, 9 points. 4 for 12 in his last game for 10 points. So hasn't scored more than 10 points. Was terrible shooting in all of those games. Um, it's just not adding a lot, but uh, he is a better option than J- Jarrett Jack. We'll, we'll give him that by a little. And then we also have that Atlanta did lose their last three to close out the regular season. Are we worried? No, I'm not. At least not for this series. I, I do think that it, there's a chance that Atlanta is one of the worst 60 win teams that we've ever seen, which by the way is like, I can't think of a good <laughs> metaphor, but that's, a se- that's essentially a way of complimenting somebody while not complimenting them because right. winning 60 games is incredible. In but the they NBA. did do it in the Eastern Conference. They did it in the East, and they've, they did it. Their point differential did not reflect that of what a 60-win team typically is, and I think most people at this point would have the Cavaliers as a somewhat significant favorite over them in the Conference Finals. Yeah, and indeed Vegas does too, by yeah. the way. Um, and I think that's so. Vegas's odds are an 8-1 to one chance of Atlanta and Golden State playing in the Finals. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's 11 to 5 that Cleveland and uh, Golden State play in the finals. That's so for a specific gives you an matchup idea. at the start of the playoffs. Those are crazy like high or crazy low odds. Right. Excuse and, me. of course, this is how Vegas makes their money. Exactly. But, um, uh, you continue to get notifications about how fat you are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who is, first of all, who is Kelly Scaletta? Okay, you, you know Kelly. He, uh, he writes for B-Ball Breakdown. He's a Bulls oh, guy. Oh, okay. Cool. A, yeah. And Kelly's a good guy. So he's, he, is, he's, he is nice despite... 
quote unquote, when you stop walking and you don't stop moving, that should tell you something. <laughs> when it takes you three steps to turn right, it should tell you something. When you step on the cat's tail and it dies, that should tell you something. I mean, that is that is a run of fat jokes that, quite frankly, you do not deserve. No, I don't think I do, but I appreciate the humor in it, so it's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I don't know. You're not like a big guy or anything. I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not gargantuan or anything. I, You're a I, hockey player. I well, I used to. Be. I'm not playing this summer season. Actually, really, it's too, I don't have the time. I would end up with the summer tramp trips that I likely have planned. I'd probably miss at least half the games. It wasn't worth the money to do it. <laughs> but I told them I'd sub in anytime they need subs. Essentially, all right. They don't need me taking three penalties a game for yapping at the refs anyway. That's is that is that a thing? That's my mo. We were, we've been over this on this show before. I'm like, but I'm, I didn't realize penalties. Sometimes it does. Usually, I'm good enough at keeping it just on that line where you don't get the penalty, like the NBA players do. Just before you get the tee, you stop. Mm. Usually, I'm good at that, but sometimes it just goes overboard. And some of the refs are ridiculous too. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, NBA, right. Cleveland, Boston. Um, again, this is probably a, another one-sided series just because of the huge talent difference. Yeah. But, th- I mean, the big question is, is the coaching difference enough to you know, maybe steal Boston a game? I actually think that just because of Brad Stevens that they could because I think he's going to be so unbelievably well-prepared for this series. Boston is going to do several things that Cleveland is not going to be ready for. I think... I do feel like Boston steals one of the games in Boston and actually probably makes at least one of the games in Cleveland close as well. But I do think the Cavs close in five. My stat from this series was during LeBron's career, he's played in 158 playoff games. Which is ridiculous. The current Celtics players total have played in 139 playoff games. Combined. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a discrepancy right there. Yeah. Um you know, so you know, I I don't know that how much I believe in playoff experience being the difference. I I am sure that you know LeBron's skill is probably enough to beat the Celtics. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chicago, Milwaukee. Um, my stat on this one was ten and eighteen, which is the Bucks' record since they traded away Brandon Knight, Michael Carter Williams. I just don't see how this group scores on a, a Chicago team that is going to be dialed in for the playoffs and that can play some really good defense under Tom Thibodeau. I just I don't see how Milwaukee scores enough to beat them. I, I mean, I don't know how Chicago scores enough to, though, right? Because Milwaukee's the second best defense in the league, and Chicago has, what, a hobble Derrick Rose, um, you know, the Pau Gasol, good but semi-inefficient offense, yeah. and then what? I mean, they've obviously they had their Butler, own problems. And right. they've got Derrick Rose coming back, who, you know, who knows what he'll be, but if he can provide anything, a pro- he'll be if he can be better than Kirk Heinrich, which I think Ritchie they'll be, be hoping for. Um, I, I do, I would have, I think a lot of people are picking that Milwaukee upset there. I'm not one of them, I Chicago winning that series. Here's another interesting thing. Milwaukee has a 29th worst attendance in the league, and in fact they're well known for having maybe a majority of Bulls fans at the Bulls-Bucks games yeah. at the Bradley Center. Uh, I, I just think that if this series goes four, it really could be four home games for the Chicago Bulls, and that's really hard, especially for a young team Yeah, um, that... that could easily get kind of out experienced in this playoff series. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's um, that I, I think there are times where not often, but there are times where crowds can really influence things. And I think that's one of them. Yeah. With, with a young team against a veteran squad. And then all of a sudden, no matter where you play, your fans aren't with you. I, I, I think it could be pretty scary. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to the next and final Eastern conference. First round playoff series. Toronto, Washington. To me, this is a really interesting one. I mean, these were two teams that were at the near the top of the East earlier in the year. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, I the stat that I got was 25.5 points per game, and that is how many DeMar DeRozan has scored during April. Now April has been a short wow. month thus far, but that's still good, and I think DeMar DeRozan's kind of been a little bit of a forgotten man out in Toronto this year because they've, he was an all-star last year, and then he got hurt at the start of the season this year. Hasn't been awesome since he came back, except for in April, apparently. Um, and I think that I, actually, I have Washington as a somewhat significant favorite in this series myself, and for that to not be the case, for Toronto to win, I think DeRozan has to play really, really well. And they, I think really they need him to outplay Bradley Beal of Washington. Here are some stats. Uh, I mean, I, I actually agree with you. And it, it is a lot about that DeRozan versus Beal matchup. I think that is mm-hmm. the... I don't know if it's a number one matchup, but I think it might be the bellwether matchup because that John Wall, Kyle Lowry matchup gonna is, is going to be a lot. You know, th- that's those are probably two of the top four backcourts in the league is that fair yeah and and been big exactly Beal and DeRozan is a great matchup as well yeah um my my stat though is kind of about how those rosters are distributed you know so if you look at Washington for example when they have three or more of their uh starters out on the floor they're plus 6.9 per 100 possessions they do a great job of beating the opponent but when they have two or fewer of their starters, they're negative 5.7. So there's this huge difference in how they play. If you've got most of your starting lineup out there, they're great. And when they're not, they don't. And unfortunately, Randy Whitman, hasn't, Whitman has not done a great job of actually managing those minutes. So Randy they, Whitman hasn't done a great job of just about anything while he's <laughs> okay. been in Washington, to be fair. Let, let's just put it that way. Sure. Yeah. Randy Whitman has not done a great job. But... Toronto, on the other hand, doesn't beat people with their starting lineup and instead beats people with their bench lineups, right? So um, when they have three or more starters out there, they're actually about an even team, only beating teams by 0.8 points per 100 possessions. Um, but when they've got most of their bench out there, two or fewer starters, then that's when they're actually able to take the advantage is, is in the second quarter. Uh, they're 7.0 points per 100 possessions above. Now, so, I think that bodes itself very badly for Toronto and very well for Washington. Right, because, because in a short, in a, in a playoff series, you're going to have a more shortened rotation. Exactly, and you're gonna, there's going to be a lot larger percentage of time spent with the majority of your starters on the floor. I don't think that stat bodes too well for Toronto at all. No, it doesn't. Um, I, I guess I may say if there was an injury for Washington, it screws them. And Randy Whitman may do it for them anyway. Yeah, he. I think he's, he, he might do the job, although I, I really think that Washington is better, and they have a guy in Paul Pierce who's been there before and who's going to kind of be able to steer the, ships in the, in the ship in the right direction. I, I think Washington might win that series more easily than people are thinking they will. Yeah, I, I, I think it'll be good, though. I mean, just a, a good watch of a series, especially because of how good those backcourt and players Lowry, are. And Lowry's going to go nuts, and he's not going to go quiet. And those fans are, are going to be great. That should be fun, too. Um, thanks to John Schumann again for those stats, by the way, on, on the starters versus the bench. You're, you continue to be killed on Twitter, by the way, before we go to the Western Conference. <laughs> yeah. Two more fat Ben jokes. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> From Clint Peterson, Ben isn't just a former hockey player. When he skates, they fire the Zamboni. That one doesn't quite make sense if you actually know the physics of a Zamboni, but it's, I'll, 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 still, I'll still take it. Maybe you like dribble water out the back or something, something when like you that. skate. Clint, I don't know how Clint that works. also just gave us a hashtag. Hashtag the ESPN 700 Twitter roast of Ben Dowsett. Well, that's just, too long. Which, it is too long, but I'm cool with it. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in a hashtag before, so I'm, I'm cool All with right. it. Um, 
And then, of course, Skelly comes back, or Kelly Skeletto, sorry, comes back and says, that's all right. I have to tie my cell phone to a kite in order to take a selfie. That's pretty good, actually. <laughs> we should we should do an impromptu ranking of these of these fat jokes of Ben. At some other point in time. We still have Western Conference Fine, yeah, you're right. With. And those are the exciting playoff series. Let's get to them. Uh, let's do the 1-8 matchup first. Golden State and New Orleans. Uh, what's your top stat for that? By the way, first of all, people who listen to me complain about the stuff they say on the Grantland Radio. Grantland Hour are just killing me right now because we're sitting here wasting time talking about how fat I am. Anyway, right. sorry. Um, the first one, Golden State, New Orleans Pelicans. My stat is five points is the number of fouls per game that Anthony Davis draws, and that's a top 10 number in the league so far. Now, the issue here is that the Warriors are one of the 10 to 12, I believe, 10 to 12 stingiest teams in the league in terms of the number of fouls they take themselves. Right. And they're also, as we know, of course, one of, if not the most versatile uh, defensive teams in the league. And they're going to have some schemes ready for Anthony Davis pretty much right away. My question is, can he kind of maintain that level of fouls drawn and those easy points he's getting at the free throw line against a team that's really going to be ready for what he does and is going to be locked in on him? And I'm not sure if they can. I think maybe. I mean, I I think you could see Anthony Davis going to the line. Um, And in fact, two weeks ago when these two teams played... The Pelicans got their only win of the season. The other three were actually Golden State wins and actually pretty large wins. Um, but the Pelicans beat the Warriors last week on the back of being of taking significantly more free throws than the Warriors, mm-hmm. along with a bad Klay Thompson shooting night. He was two for ten that night. Right. Um, given that that happened so recently, I could see that kind of happening again in at least one of these games in the next two weeks for the, for the series. I could see it happening, but I'm not predicting it to happen. I have the Warriors in four. In yeah, series. and that's fair. Um, I, I might just hedge and say I think it's more likely that a team wins one out of four games than they don't, if that makes sense. Even if you took, like, the Warriors and the Nuggets, let's say, you know? Um, Oof, I don't know about that. I just think that, you know, sure, those are great teams, but I think overall, if you take any two teams in the league – you might have a better chance of at winning one of the four games than zero of the four games. That's yeah, I guess you're. It really depends on the team, and, and Golden State might be historically great. <laughs> so I don't know. That's that. very true. You, you had a really interesting stat on this series too, though. Yeah. So in that game that I referenced, um, where the Pelicans won, despite the Pelicans winning, Andrew Bogut was still a plus forty-seven point six per one hundred per one hundred possessions right? when he was on the court. That's insane. So the Pelicans did a great job when he was off the court, but when Andrew Bogut was on the court, they had no answer for it, and that was the case during their other games as well. You know, if Bogut can play major minutes in the series, I don't. I, you know, obviously the Pelican. I don't think the Pelicans have a chance really either way. But it could get ugly and, I guess, unentertaining. Yeah. And that, by the way, that's stat courtesy of Matt Moore, a.k.a. Hardwood Paroxysm, CBS Sports. Yep. Um, I, I, I agree. Bogut is legitimately incredible, and the, he poses a huge problem for what New Orleans tries to do, essentially. Um, I, I, and I think they've been setting up basically this whole year for him to be able to be on the court as much as possible. So I think that's going to be a problem. Houston-Dallas, your two-versus-seven series after last night's game against the Jazz. The Rockets moved up into that second seed to earn the right to play that uh, Texas series against the Dallas Mavericks. Uh-huh. Your thoughts? Um, first of all, great job by Houston to do that because I think Dallas was clearly the most desirable team to want to play, except for maybe New Orleans but or maybe Portland, I guess. But the the added benefit of playing Dallas is that you don't have to play Golden State in the second round if you right. win, um, although you do probably have to play the Spurs, so whoop de doo But uh, the stat I took for this one is actually stolen from Zach Lowe, who tweeted it last night. Um, 
tw- it is 29, which is Dallas's rank of 30 teams in defensive rebounding percentage. They have been really bad at, def- at rebounding the ball defensively. Conversely, Houston has been the league's sixth best offensive rebounding team by percentage. And you have to keep in mind that that's while they've been missing Dwight Howard for the vast majority of this season. He's now back. We saw uh, on Wednesday night how he, last night, excuse me, how he kind of muscled Gobert quite a good bit down low. He's ready to do that to even stronger people than Gobert. He's been doing it for a long time. And I I think even if Houston misses shots, which is up for debate, whether they're going to be doing that regularly or not, even if they do, they're going to have a lot of chances to get offensive rebounds. It's going to be really tough for Dallas to limit those second possessions. Yeah, I mean, that matchup is, I think, the one that really kind of determines the series is the Tyson Chandler-Dwight Howard matchup. Uh, And and I think it's closer than I think you may think that I think Tyson Chandler will probably do a a decent job on the boards. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I, I mean, that's... It's it's definitely a hard proposition for the Mavericks. No. Um, my point was on this, uh, since the Rajon Rondo trade, the Mavs have been pretty middling. Um, they've been the 13th best offense and 14th best defense. Before the trade, they were number one on the O and uh, on offense, and were actually just stellar, one of the best um, offenses of all time, had they kept it up for a full season. 20th on defense. Their net rating was 8.5 before the trade. Since the trade, it's only plus one. So, you know, basically the Mavericks have gotten significantly less effective since the Rajon Rondo deal. Yeah, I killed it at the time. I think a lot of other people did, too. I, I, I didn't, for what it's worth. Yeah, I well, we were right. Uh, <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's just, Rajon Rondo mm-hmm. is just, and I, I think people Oops. wonder, like, what happened to him and what, you know, because he was great in the playoffs a few years ago and things like that. I think people actually underestimate just how much the game has changed just in, like, mm. three or four years. A guy, a Team defense is so advanced now that you can't have one. One guy on the floor, especially a guard on the floor who's as bad at shooting the ball as he is. You just can't. Teams are going to exploit it too much. And I, I think he's gotten better, but I, I do think that, or sorry, I think he's gotten better at shooting, but I think he's a worse overall player than he was in, in the Boston That's years. true, too. And, and he, you know, he's just not able to move like he can. He's not as, as big of a disruptor on the defensive end. Uh, he, he doesn't create as much as he does offensively, and I think it is because he's, he's not as much of a threat. Maybe it is that the defenses are getting smarter, but I, I do think that there is something about the injury that has sapped his mobility a little bit made him less difficult to guard yeah you're probably right all right two series left clippers and san antonio i think objectively might be the best series in the first round i I completely agree um but here's my number and this is uh it might be a slight exaggeration i think you are i was gonna quibber jj reddick but okay so i'll actually move it from 3.5 up to four i'm gonna say the number is four and that is to me the number of competent NBA level rotation players Matt on Barnes on the is a competent All level. right, four point five. Five. Holy uh, five. I don't know about How that. How about Jamal Crawford? Five and he, a half. Is he healthy? Is Jamal healthy? I don't know. I, I'm not hundred percent sure about that. But in either case, the point I was trying to make essentially was that uh, the Clippers depth is awful. And now we we did talk about how rotations tighten in the playoffs, which is true, and they do. But to me, that doesn't mean you can just play your five starters all the time. You still have to play your bench a, a good, decent bit during the game. And if your bench is so atrociously bad like the Clippers is compared with a bench like the Spurs, which I think is unequivocally one of the best in the league and the the, the system they run and everything like that, I think it's going to be a huge problem for the Clippers. Crawford, by the way, is healthy. He has played the last four games. Okay, so I'll give you at least five. Five and a half. That's enough capable NBA rotation players. Not to beat the Spurs, I don't think. Not to beat the Spurs four times in seven games. I mean, you're right. It's a big ask for them. But I I, I do think that you're underestimating the Clippers' talent a little bit. You're right that their bench is empty, and and that's really a a big problem for them. There's no doubt. And I also... 
also think that on one end, uh, that being the defensive end, one of those definite real NBA players in Blake Griffin is a serious minus that nobody ever really talks about defensively. The Spurs are going to go at him all the time, frequently. They're going to try and eliminate DeAndre and Chris Paul from being able to beat them on that How do they do that? There's lots of things you can do to essentially exploit one player. You can put him in pick and roll a lot. You can can run him off a lot of low screens. The Spurs love to put their bigs in screening action down low and force the opposing bigs to kind of react to them. There's a number of things like that that you can do, and you know, there's nobody better at doing it than Greg Popovich, and I I think they're going to go straight at that. They're going to go straight at Crawford if he plays a lot. They're going to go straight at Redick, who does a good job positionally, but just doesn't have the stature to be a great defender. No, but I mean, again, who are they're not going to put JJ Redick on Kawhi Leonard, you know. No, they're not, but again, you this I think the game's developed to the point where all five guys on the court matter and if you have just one major minus on there where I think the Clippers may have more than one defensively that a team can exploit those. They can get the right team concepts going to really really hurt you. Yeah, I, I think you underestimate the Clippers offense a little bit. Um oh, I, awesome. I mean what would what would your prediction be? Are you taking like Spurs in 5 or are you taking Spurs in 7? You know what I mean? Six actually because the because game six would be in San okay. Antonio. Um, yeah, but and but I honestly truly think it could happen in five and wouldn't surprise me if it happened in five. See, I, I think it's closer than that. I think there's definitely a real chance that the Clippers win. I would I would still have the Spurs as favorites, um, but I mean the Clippers have home court advantage. Like I said, they're one of the two best offenses in the league, and they they really do have a lot of talent. I mean I I, I don't think that you are fair with three and a half rotation level players. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's much closer than you think. Uh, but you had a stat too, right? Yeah, sorry. Uh, let me go ahead and throw that at Kawhi Leonard. The Spurs are 47-18 and 18 while he's in the ro- on the active roster. Good so Lord. he's quite good. That's ridiculous. That's insane. Yeah, that, that just furthers my point a little bit, I think. <laughs> I, I, and Kawhi, yeah, Kawhi. I mean, I, I wanted to be on your point, but then you took it too far. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, one series left. We got one series left, and that is Memphis and Portland. Yeah, your 4-5 matchup. So Portland is the number four seed, but they actually start out on the road because they have a less uh, less good record than the Grizzlies. Uh, but because of their division title, they are the four seed. That's how that works. Yeah. So for the year, Portland has played four times against Memphis and has lost all four times. And as you'll get into on your point here in a second, many of those times were while they had a lot more of their personnel available to them and they still lost all four times to the Grizzlies during those four losses. Damian Lillard shot 40.3% from the field and only 26.7% from three, which are really bad. And basically, if he doesn't do way, way, way better than that during the series, it's going to be a quick one in Portland. Do you just think that they've figured out how to guard Lillard? I mean, is it is that Tony Allen guarding him? Is that Mike Conley doing well? I mean, what I what is the success both. of that? I, ha- I wasn't able to go back and rewatch those games specifically, but I bet you they'll do bits of both, assuming that Allen is healthy. Um, and and but even if he's not or does or they don't choose to do that, Conley is an excellent point guard defender. And I think with how depleted some of Portland's support is, Memphis can focus really heavily on Lamarcus Aldridge and on Lillard, and they can just focus on shutting those two guys down and say, you know what, if you want Darrell Wright to beat us, then let's do that. And I might say that there's no one more well equipped to guard Lamarcus Aldridge than Marcus All. One of them, without maybe with the exception of Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I was going to say Gobert, but yeah, other than or that, maybe Anthony Davis. Yeah, there's those guys are some of the best. Now, what about all these injuries for Portland? Yeah, so in their last game, they had Chris Kamen out, Nicholas Batum, C.J. McCollum, Aaron Aflalo, Wes Matthews, of course, and Darrell Wright. Um, now they're going to have some to even most of those guys back for the playoffs. That being said, those are legitimate injuries. You know, it's not just that they're holding them out. Um, I I don't know if they'll be at 100%. They're certainly not rolling into the playoffs. Um, And so it's going to be a really difficult matchup for them, especially against a Memphis team who is who has 
played pretty well recently. Not maybe since the All-Star break, but in the last couple of weeks they've done well. And assuming that Conley is back at full strength, I think we're going to... We've started to see... People have started to notice it a little more recently in the last few weeks, but we're going to see it really highlighted now is Lillard is among the worst defenders at his position in the league. Yep. And you're going to start seeing that in the playoffs because if he can't if he can't muster up something better than what we've been seeing recently, he's just going to get grilled over and over again <laughs> in pick and roll by Conley. That being said, I mean, we thought Houston would, would beat the Trailblazers pretty easily last year That's and instead the they opposite happened. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens in, in the playoffs. That's all eight playoff series for Boom. you. We broke them all down, plus threw in some Ben Fat jokes. What a great segment. Great stuff. Um, <laughs> on the other side, we're going to let Ben have his voice finally. And, uh, I give, never have a voice. <laughs> and he'll give his uh, NBA playoff, or sorry, NBA regular season awards, MVP, Rookie of the Year, et cetera, et cetera. It's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. I'm just, first of all, this has been a great show thus far. It has been really fun. <laughs> um, you've... Uh, you love awards. I'm pretty mad on them, if we're honest. Like, yeah. I, I don't really care who wins the awards. Um, I just like critiquing your picks. Yeah, which And is so fair that's enough. exactly what we're going to do today, yep. is Ben's going to give his awards, because he does and uh, genuinely feel that they're important for players' legacies and how we think of, of you know, people really... Uh, they're important to you all the time. I mean, because you hear that all the time when you're talking about a player's Hall of Fame case later on. You hear he was a four-time All-Star, or he was a two-time MVP, or he, you know, whatever. He was five times All Defense, whatever. I, I think that they're important, and I think that sometimes we kind of minimize them to too large of an effect. And I, th- I also think that the players involved, while they would never say this publicly, they care about being recognized for what they've done. Oh, I think I mean, I'm very I think important. They would show that. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, look at like Kevin Durant's MVP speech last year, for example. Exactly. I mean, just it was clear. Just it meant a huge amount to him. Yeah. Um, so let's let's get into it. Let's start. Let's go ahead and start off with the big one. MVP. What's your top five for this M- this year's MVP race? OK, top five in order winning. I'm not original. I have Stephen Curry at second. I have James Harden. I'm still not original at third. I have LeBron James. I think some people don't have him there. So no. that would be maybe a little original. Uh, at fourth, I have Anthony Davis. And at fifth, I have Chris Paul. Now, some people have already nitpicked my non-inclusion of Russell Westbrook in this top five. Uh, frankly, I I think it's honestly <laughs> kind of clear actually that he is exactly sixth. Like that he okay. that he wouldn't be. And you could move around a couple of my top five a little bit if you wanted to. I think some people have. I want to ask you about Anthony Davis's defense. I I mean I don't think that Anthony Davis was a bona fide defensive player of the year finalist this year, but I think he was on the next tier of defenders behind okay. that. If you look at the on and off court numbers for New Orleans for the year, they've been like a borderline top three defense essentially with him and like one of the worst in the league without him essentially he has no help whatsoever he has to play a lot with like ryan anderson and guys like that drew holiday is probably their only other definite plus defender and he's been out for three quarters of the year he's really and monty williams is his coach like he's had very little help as far as defense goes and as far as statistics go, which most of the time don't even incorporate defense, he's having one of the historically great statistical seasons yeah. in history. And it just so happens that there are a few guys ahead of him that are 
doing similar things plus doing them on way better teams, and that's why they get the nod ahead of him. Agreed. Do you, by the way, just one word answer. Do you agree with Ethan Sherwood-Strauss when he says Steph Curry's a better defender than Chris Paul? No, and don't get me started on the rest of that or else we won't get to the rest <laughs> of my picks. I was I like Ethan's work a lot. That article rubbed me really the wrong way. And, it, and as someone who is a homer all the time, which I am for the Jazz, it bugged me as being super homerific because I wouldn't, if I worked for ESPN, I wouldn't write something like that for ESPN about like I wouldn't write about how Trey Burke is becoming a better defender. You do work for ESPN. This is ESPN True, okay. 700. If I was a direct ESPN, like you know, <laughs> like Sherwood Strauss is that, and frankly, he cited a, a bunch of numbers in there that were yeah that were really spurious essentially, and I I just I wasn't a fan of that piece at all. There is no construct under which you can assert that Stephen Curry is even in Chris Paul's world as a defender. I think I got you started. You did a little. Sorry, let's I did ask on. for a one word answer. We got like. Anyway, let's move on. Rookie of the year. Rookie of the year, my top three in order of winning is Andrew Wiggins. Second is Nikola Miritich. Third, Alfred Payton. I think the only real point of contestation there is third. I think most people have those two guys. Some people have Miritich winning, but most people have those guys one, two in some order. And I think a lot of people have Nerlens Noel at third. I don't mind him. I'd have him fourth. I think that Alfred did it for a longer period this year. He hasn't been perfect. He's got a lot of big flaws that he's going to have to work out. But frankly, it was kind of a weak class. Bunch of guys got yep. hurt real quick. That's my yeah. Those are there. I don't think we need too much. There's more two on kind this. of weak rookie classes in a row. Yeah, a little bit. Although I think part of it this year was because of the injuries, and this class That's could still true. end up being really strong down the line. Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year. Winning, I have Draymond Green. Second, I have Kawhi Leonard. Third, I have Rudy Gobert. Now, as someone who just complained about homers, I will admit that this is the one semi-homer pick of my my thing. Now, realistically, I would have him either third or fourth. Okay. And the other guy would be Bogut. Yep. Give me a reason for Gobert over Bogut. The main reason, honestly, was that I just wanted to not have two Golden State players be in the top three because, frankly, yeah, their defense has been awesome, but I don't know if it's been so historically awesome that they deserve to have two of the top three defensive players of the year. It's the best in the league. It is, but it's not like they're only decimals better than Milwaukee, for example, and and there's no Milwaukee players And it's not like they have a a focal point of their defense, you know, like a Rudy Gobert, for example, that's just like blocking all their shots. I mean, sure, they're funneling a lot to Andrew Bogut, but that I, I think it's re- really reasonable to have both Draymond and Andrew there because they, they do work so well together. That's really the key to, in my mind to the Golden State success. You know, if they had for example, David Lee next to Andrew Bogut, it doesn't work as well. Yeah, and although you know you said focal point, I actually think the focal point of their defense is clearly Draymond Green and okay. who allows them to do what they do defensively as far as the switching one through four and everything like that. And the minutes he's played at center, they've been incredible defensively during those. Excuse me, sorry. I, I I do think realistically most people would probably have Bogut there instead of Gobert, and I'm pro- and that's a bit of my Homer leanings. It's the only one I did I think <laughs> out of this group that's Homerific. I don't know what's about. What about your most improved player? See, I don't think this is a Homer pick at all. I do have Gobert winning most improved. I have Jimmy Butler second, and I have Hassan Whiteside third. Um, frankly, I think if you look at the level, you know, the whole idea of the award is most improved from last year to this year. If you look at where Rudy Gobert was at the end of last NBA season. And you look at where Jimmy Butler was, and then you look at where they both are now. Yes, Butler has has risen a lot, but Jimmy Butler, despite having a bad year last year, was considered a very good player and an up, but you know, an up and coming, not star, but an up and coming great above average player in the NBA. And yes, he's broken out this year, but also has missed some games. Whereas Gobert has played all eighty two, and the the level that he's at now as compared to where he was last year is it's I don't think it's necessarily even comparable I think there's a chance Gobert should win this award going away he's not going to win in real life Butler's going to win this award but well, and, and I think there are real reasons for that first of all I think uh, first of all I believe Jimmy Butler's played more minutes 
um, total than right. Rudy Gobert. Yeah, but some and of that's so that's something to consider. Overuse by Tom. Sure, Bale. but I, he gets credit for the massive that's overuse. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then I also think that there is, a, a, you know, we talk about the difference between the jump from uh, average to good and good to great a lot, and how the good to great one sometimes harder. Jimmy Butler, in my mind, moved himself into a top fifteen player in the league this year, and that is that's a, a big deal jump. And that's um, fair. And I think maybe even harder. To, it, you know, I, I would say in my mind, he went from like 75 to 15 this year. If you just kind of do rough rankings and, and, you know, maybe don't quote me on this, but Rudy Gobert in my mind went from like 250 to 50, you know? Yeah. And so while that's a bigger number jump, I think that might be less of a skill jump than what Jimmy Butler did. Now on the flip side of that, a stat that Zach, I believe Zach Lowe cited when he also picked Gobert to win this award in his column recently was that uh, the track record for centers, seven foot plus guys who have played as few minutes as Gobert did in their rookie seasons ever becoming anything in the league is so small. Yeah, you're right. I think one is more unlikely. I don't know that one is bigger. Okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and that's a fair argument. I, I do think Gobert came a little further. Plus, the missed games to me mean something, even if Butler, yes, was playing more minutes in the games that he did play. Coach of the year. Coach of the year, uh, I have Mike Buddenholzer winning, which was also my preseason pick, so that's good. I'm, I feel good <laughs> about that one. Second, I have Brad Stevens. I don't think most people have him there. I think not enough people appreciate how incredibly, ridiculously good of a coach Brad Stevens is. And third, I have Steve Kerr. I think most people actually have Kerr winning the award this year. He's been great. He's done a lot of the great things. But to me, it's a guy who walked into a dinner party and, the, you know, the knives were all facing the wrong direction. But he and he went and turned them around, which is very nice of him. And that's, <laughs> that's good of him that he did that. And the knives were placed perfectly, by the way. They, he turned them around and they are in perfect shape right now. But the rest of the table was already set, if you know what I mean. Whereas I've, a guy like Stevens came into a trash room that had just had a party the night before. A decent-looking banquet in like an hour. See, I don't think you're going far enough with that metaphor. Because to me, Mark Jackson is a train wreck. Is 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 the party room after... Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I just mean the players and the just the basic talent that they already had on the team. Sure, but in terms of in terms of a system, it was a nightmare. And, you know, we've, we've learned, for example, with Quinn Snyder that... Uh, implementing a system after uh, having a poor coach the year before, let's put it that way, can happen easier at the end of the year than at the beginning of the year. You know, the Jazz really struggled at the beginning of this season. The Warriors got out to a tremendous start well, right some away. Some of that's having more veterans and sure. guys that have played longer and things like but that. But I, I think you also have to give Kerr a little bit of credit. And I'm giving him third, so. All right, okay. and sixth man Number of the one. year, real quick. I have another winner that I think is surprising to some people, and that's Tristan Thompson would be my winner. I would have Andre Iguodala second, and I would have Lou Williams third. I think Williams will probably win it in the actual uh, NBA balloting this year. Um, I think this one is probably the most arbitrary and the most wide open, especially this year. There are a number of candidates. I've heard that Jamal Crawford is going to legitimately get votes from people, even though he missed yeah. like a third of the season, which is completely ridiculous. That's just because but, he's the one person you think of when you think six man. Which that's silly. That's that you know. That's like saying this that, is a stupid award. It's true. I I agree. This is the stupidest of the awards. I would and, like a second man of the year award more than a, a six man. Right? I probably would agree. Yeah, second banana award. That'd that's be a good great. One. I think Tristan's been underrated though, and that's why I gave him the award. All right, so we had one more thing to get to on this segment. Yes, Lauren, Lauren. you've got a question for us. This is Lauren Rose Spencer, the ESPN 700 intern. She's been asking, wanting to ask this question the entire show, and we're like, no, no, no. The entire so finally, year. The entire year. Okay, the entire year. The entire year. Let's hear it. Ask one question, and I just want y'all's opinion. Okay. Go. Okay, you're, let's do it. Andy, you're an analytical guy. Yes, I am too. You're smart. <laughs> you're thanks, smart, thanks I guess. For that, thanks for that. I'm you're fat. smart, I guess. And fat. <laughs> no, you're not fat. Okay. Just one question, because I didn't get to attend the 
uh, locker room cleanout today. Mm-hmm. And so one time, Quinn Snyder had presented a question or a formula, I'm sorry, about the season. And he said it was commitment, paying attention to detail, and hard work. And so I would like to know how you feel like that all panned out based on everything that you heard today. Yeah, I mean, the players repeatedly, I'll start with the easiest one, which I think is attention to detail. And the players repeatedly commented on how great Quinn Snyder's attention to detail was and what a difference that had made in their games. I mean, we heard it from Gordon Hayward. Uh, I believe we heard it from Rodney Hood. We heard it from Joe Ingles. You know, this is clearly what Quinn Snyder is good at, and they're in. In terms of commitment, I, you know, again, it's clear that everyone's on the same page. I mean, you hear from guys like Joe Ingles, for example, who has a who is a free agent at the end of the year. He has every reason in the world to go get his stats, you know, make sure that he stays in the NBA and, and gets that contract for next season. And instead, he's like, you know, no, it's not all about me. I'm going to take the fewest shots of nearly anybody in the league and instead make this team more successful. You know, if that's not commitment, what is? And then what was the third part of this formula? Um, hard work. Hard work. I think that kind of goes along with commitment. Yeah, I mean, they work hard. It all I don't know. Um, I don't know. You know, it's hard. To, hard work is super hard to quantify. Quantify, and so everyone says they're a hard worker, and then we I think don't. the results bear out which guys are. And you can, you know, you see a guy like Gobert and how far he's come. Like yeah. we were just talking about. There's no way you get to that point without insanely hard work. But then Trey Burke, you know, I also know that he's working hard and he regresses. Here. True. Some of it, some of it just is physical talent, and that's why sometimes it is tough to separate hard work because a guy can work his butt off like Trey has, and sometimes the results don't show. So in the Quinn Snyder one, we'll we'll give him two yeses and one I don't know. Yeah. Sound good. Thank you. Yep. Nice. Thanks <laughs> All right, let's Lauren. go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we're going to be talking. Uh, what are we talking about? LOL Lakers. LOL Lakers. That's right. My favorite segment of the entire show. We're going to be doing that next. Plus, wrapping up the show. That's next on the Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Utah. This is this is my most favorite, and also I recognize that it's actually a pretty awful song. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett. That is from the famous rapper Deep Is Oh No, the Utah Jazz theme song from I believe the 07-08 Utah Jazz season. Um, it actually has like a decent beat, if but <laughs> if you're in eighth grade, <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, I may have the rap maturity of an eighth grader. Okay. I, I don't doubt that at all. Uh, <laughs> we haven't done it yet this uh, on the show, and there is enough to talk about with the yep. Lakers. Let's do it, LOL Lakers. Let's laugh at the Lakers one last time this season. Thank you for the yakety sack. So yeah, we weren't going to do it. We we're like, you know, let's give the Lakers a break. And then their media day happened, which just full of hilarious quotes from Byron Scott, from Carlos Boozer. Anyway, let's let's just name them off. First yep. of all, one Byron Scott on the season. I didn't think we'd be a playoff team, but I thought we'd be pretty close. Uh... Yeah, okay, they, Byron. at no point were they ever going to be close. No, that was that was a fool's. Errand. Errand. Yeah, I don't know. It, they, it was never going to happen. And instead, it was their worst season in history. They actually now had their first season where they had 60 or more losses. 
I believe that makes the Jazz the only franchise that has not had a season with 60 more losses. I think so. Um, which, you know, more power to us, although yeah. 25, for example, is not a whole lot to be proud of. Yeah. Um, Byron Scott also said today, quote-unquote, on, on the three-pointer thing, I still don't necessarily think it's going to help you win a championship. Um, which team had the most three-pointers last year? I believe that was the team that won the championship, Yes, actually. that was, indeed. The San Antonio Spurs. So, that's stuff, going well. stuff out of this guy's mouth is just, like, continuously unbelievable. And, of course, Golden State is quite good this year. I guess they haven't won the championship yet, but, you know, they're clearly the best team in the league. Um, and Carlos Boozer still, still has high dreams, like his coach, Byron Scott, said he told Mitch Kupchak and Byron Scott that... If we can compete, I would love to be back. I still want to win one before I retire. Well, okay. What better way is Carlos there to do Boozer, that? Why not? You know, if you're chasing the championship, let's go for the Lakers. No better way to do it than to play with Kobe Bryant on a $25 million contract and probably Rajon Rondo, right? I'm surrounded by idiots. Yeah. I, I have commented that I think Jazz fans are harsh on Carlos Boozer, and they don't give him enough credit for what he did in Utah. But the dude, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that he uh, is self-aware. Let's put it that way. The self-awareness on Carlos Boozer is, is pretty low. Is that is that the right thing to say? He could stand to learn from Dante Exum, the 19-year-old, about being self-aware. <laughs> That's true. Although I will point out that Carlos Boozer made more than like five layups this season. That's Yeah, I guess that's true, too. But he's all, yeah, all right. <laughs> Probably I guess, more I, guess I can't argue with that one, but yeah. Um, anyway. Basically, that, that, does that do it for the that's, segment? That's our LOL Lakers segment. Okay, I want to I want to go on just – I know I did it sort of briefly like in one of the last few weeks, but I, I do think that there is a legitimate chance that Byron Scott is one of the worst coaches of this millennium thus I, far. Yeah, I be, think so. To be coaching and to actually have a consistent – like a – all right, let me put that – to have a, a uh, an elongated run coaching an NBA team. The, the Phil Jackson coaching tree – is terrible. Oh my god, it's so bad. Who all right, who else is it? Let's Kurt Rambis. <laughs> Brian Shaw, recently fired. Yep. Byron Scott. Okay. Derek Fisher. Oh no. It's very, very okay, bad. Okay. Here's the thing with Derek Fisher. I'm actually not yet 100% sure that we can punt on Derek Fisher as a coach just because it, and I feel, no. I do feel like this is different than Byron Scott this year. That Derek Fisher this year is different from Byron Scott this year in that I don't think he, I, I don't think Byron Scott was actually foisted with as much god awful terribleness as Derek Fisher was <laughs> in, in New York, which was some of which was intentional. He's also kind of being forced to pretend that he enjoys the triangle and to pretend to keep it. But I think the, he does, don't you think? If it turns out that he really does in future years when he actually has the talent to potentially compete for a playoff spot, then I will, he'll go right into that same category as the rest of those guys because the triangle is outdated and, and the pure triangle that is. There are teams use variations of the triangle in the NBA today. Mm-hmm. The pure triangle is outdated and stupid and horrible. And <laughs> That, pretty much. In the current NBA, the triangle doesn't, the pure triangle doesn't work. There's no dribble penetration involved with it. The triangle was set up so that Michael Jordan could succeed. There aren't too many Michael Jordans in the league anymore. And and, and notably, the Knicks do not have one. No, and not anywhere even remotely close. And their best player doesn't lend himself to the triangle offense whatsoever. So I, I, I guess maybe as the sort of the entry post guy, he sort of does, but nothing else on their team does whatsoever. Yeah. Well, uh, it's going to be an interesting set of uh, playoff games. That starts Saturday um, on ABC and ESPN. Then we've got four more games Sunday as well. So that'll be an awesome plate of games. 
I just want to take this last minute to thank you guys, the audience, for listening to our show on whether you listen to it on ESPN 700, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Salt City Hoops, um, you know, on the ESPN 700 sports.com website. No matter how you listen to the show, thank you guys so much. You're, you're you know, obviously the reason we exist and we love talking to you. We love it when you reach out to us. Thanks so much again. Absolutely. And by the way, that's not a notice that we're, this isn't the last week of the show. We're keeping no, on we going. are still going since during the, end the, of the jazz, but Since the end of the jazz season, I do think it was appropriate. Yeah, we get, you know, we get a little sentimental. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again for listening. You can check us out again on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, all those different places. Check our writing out at SaltCityHoops.com. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Ah!